Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. That moment where you lost whatever it was that was most valuable to you, your your car keys, your phone, and try and remember how you felt in that moment. I remember uh, about three years ago, I went away for a month on a trip uh, with the army, uh, and it was the first time I'd been away from uh, Elisa and Amity since Amity had been born, and it was a fairly long trip, nearly a month in total, uh, and on about day two or three, all of a sudden I sat down at dinner and I couldn't find my phone. Uh, and this was my lifeline back home and the sinking feeling in the, in the pit of my stomach because I thought, where on earth is this phone of mine? It could be anywhere. Uh, and I searched and searched and searched and of course uh, I ran out of time because we had to go and have our next lesson and so uh, three or four hours later I came back and kept on searching and eventually, much to my relief, sort of, I found my phone deep in the bottom of the toilet that I had used some seven or eight hours ago. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a, a happy, sad moment because I found my phone, but uh, it sadly no longer worked anymore. It's a great relief, though, isn't it, when we find that thing that we've uh, been uh, missing, especially if it still works. We haven't cancelled the credit cards yet and we find our wallets or uh, we find our phone not in the toilet but just under a pillow or something like that. And so as we think of those times where we've lost something valuable we can sort of start to get our, our, our hearts into the emotions of the passage today. A shepherd losing his sheep in verses 1 to 7 and a woman losing a coin in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel. But of course, much worse than losing a phone or a wallet or a sheep or a coin is the loss of a child. Maybe those who are parents here have not known where their child is for even just a moment or two. Thankfully, uh, uh, for me, I can only think of one time where I've freaked out very briefly uh, not knowing where uh, one of my daughters was. Obviously not the 10-week-old, I pretty much know where she is all the time, but um, uh, not knowing where Amity was. Uh, and it feels like a lifetime and the relief when you go, oh, there she is, she was just hiding behind a tree. Thank goodness for that. Well, that connects us somewhat to our, our final story today of a man who loses his son. But before we kind of dive in and see what these are about and what they teach us about us and about God, uh, we need to understand the context that these stories are told in. And of course, Jesus is at a dinner party with that Luke tells us, sinners and tax collectors in verse 1. And uh, as he's dining with these people, there are these hypocritical Pharisees and teachers of the law who, uh, uh, as a church, we've been working through Luke's gospel for a little while now. We know that these guys are full-blown hypocrites. They use their religion 
as a cover for selfishness. They've done away with the whole love God, love neighbour thing and it's all about how to self-promote in their society. And Jesus has come, the Son of God, uh, walking amongst them, the promised Messiah, and he's coming up right against this hypocrisy. And they don't like it. They feel threatened by it. And so we've seen time and time again Jesus, as he has compassion on those who are ill and sick and as he dines with uh, those whom the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have, have decided are unworthy of love and grace. He comes into contact, in conflict with them time and time again and he's done it again here in Luke 15. Uh, although it's not direct conflict, it's a, it's a passive-aggressive kind of conflict, isn't it? They're, they're muttering, we read in verse 2. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're disgusted by Jesus. You can can kind of hear your grandma or something muttering at you for keeping your hat on at dinner time uh, in the way that these Pharisees speak about Jesus and his behaviour. It's not proper. It's not the way religious people are supposed to behave and certainly not the way someone who's claiming to be the son of God ought to behave. And so Jesus tells these three stories of a a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. And he tells it to them to show how wrong their priorities are and to confront them about the way that they and we should respond to those who don't yet know God. So, let's have a look. Firstly, verses 3 through 10, we've got the parable of the lost sheep to up to verse 7 and the lost coin in verse 10. Two short parables about people losing something significant. But in the grand scale of things, something they could live without, isn't it? You know, uh, ten, 10 silver coins, we read, is about a day's wage. Uh, and, you know, I, I was thinking... If you lost 50 bucks, like if you had a 50 buck note and it blew away in the wind or something, that would be pretty annoying and you might try and find it. But for most of us, we could get by. We could get by with a a 10% loss of a day's wages for some reason. Or a shepherd, you know, like 99 out of 100 sheep's not so bad. You can get by. You can still probably do all the things that shepherds need to do. But of course, neither the shepherd nor the woman in Jesus' story are content to just get by and write it off after a brief search. They devote themselves to what is lost. They devote themselves to find the lost thing. And when they do find it, we read both the shepherd and the woman have a similar response. Verse 6, the shepherd goes home, calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And in verse 9, the woman, when she finds her coin, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And Jesus tells us that this is what God is like when a sinner repents. Verse 7 and verse 10. I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is telling us God's heart 
for the lost. When a sinner repents, that's you and me, people who uh, have done wrong before God. But when we choose to stop facing this way and living lives for us and instead turn around and face God and decide to live lives for him, he rejoices. The angels rejoice. This is what God loves most of all. The salvation of men and women, boys and girls. And of course, we see God's love for the repentant sinner most clearly in the final story that Jesus tells, the story of the lost son. It's no doubt a story that you've heard once before. The story of the prodigal, uh, the son who comes to his father and essentially wishes him dead. Give me my inheritance now. I can't be bothered waiting for you to drop off the, off the perch. Give it to me now. And he, the father does as the son requests and the son takes his inheritance and he squanders his inheritance. And he ends up, we read, with literally nothing. He's, he's pictured eating with the pigs, which is doubly bad for a Jew because pigs are unclean. So this is, this is a really bad place that this, this son has ended up in Jesus' story. And so as he's sitting there in the mud amongst the unclean pigs, he decides to repent, to turn around, to stop going in this direction and to go back to his father and to go and at least beg for the chance to become his father's servant. He doesn't expect to be restored to the full sonship. After all, he's taken his inheritance. But nonetheless, he realises that maybe his father might have some sort of pity on him and at least let him be one of his servants because he knows his father treats his servants well and he won't be stuck in the mud with the pigs. And of course, as Jesus goes on telling the story, it's like his father's been waiting for this day ever since his son left. For as his son walks over the hill, the father sees his return and runs out to him rejoicing that this son of his who was dead has now been found. And so he holds this massive party rejoicing for the reunification of his family. And up to this point in the story, up to verse 24, it reads very much like the other two parables, doesn't it? Something lost is found and rejoicing ensues. The repentant sinner returns to the Father, to God, and rejoicing ensues. We, we get it. We've, we've heard the story of the, of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But of course, this parable is a parable that doesn't end there, is it? There are seven more verses which describe another character in the story. I'll just read them to you again from verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. Here, Jesus changes tack a little. It's not just about the rejoicing in heaven and of God for the return of repentant sinners. Here is a message to those Pharisees and teachers of the law that we remember back in verse 2 who are muttering at the table about the people Jesus is spending time with. Here Jesus is confronting their heart and their attitude because this older brother just doesn't get it, does he? Upon hearing that his brother has returned, come back to the folds, walked away from the muck and the dirt of the pigs. Upon hearing this and upon hearing of his father's joy, how does he respond? Well, instead of being caught up in the party and, and, and overflowing with joy at the return of a brother, he's jealous. You never gave me a party. You never let me have fun with my friends. And I've been the loyal one. How dare you have a party for this disloyal son? And maybe on one hand you you can kind of sympathise with him. Well, hey, maybe the father should have done some more for him. I don't know. You know, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of two sons and if I'd stuck around, maybe I'd be annoyed too. But of course, if you imagine yourself as the parent and one of your child's has been missing for a while or has cut themselves off from you and years later they appear again repentant, of course you'd be overjoyed. Of course you would throw a party. Of course you would rejoice. And of course you would hope that your other children would join in with you because they've journeyed with you this whole time. They know what it is to be in relationship with you and they know what a joy, what a sadness it has been that these others have not been in relationship with you. They've eaten and drunk with you and enjoyed the bounty of your, uh, of your work. And they've longed for the return of this other son. You, you actually see there's, there's no sympathy that can be had at all with this older, older child. And that's what the father expects his loyal son to do, to keep being loyal and loving. You've always been with me, he says, verse 31. Everything I have is yours. We've got to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost, but now is found. Why does Jesus finish a story of rejoicing Uh, at the finding of lost things with a bitter and an angry older brother who refuses to come to the party because he's rebuking those teachers of the law and the Pharisees 
Why do you always eat with sinners, they ask. Jesus now answers, because God's heart is for the lost. And you guys, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're meant to get this. You're meant to get God's heart because you're experts in in religious stuff. You're students of the scriptures. You're supposed to understand God's heart for those who are far off. And instead, you've gone about using religion for your own ends, thinking that somehow because you were so studious, you've somehow earned your way into the favour of the Father. And now you're jealous that God is seeking and saving the lost. Jesus is saying to them, don't be like this older brother. Stop being jealous that God's grace is extending to more and more. Stop failing to rejoice with God at the repentance of sinners, at the entry into the kingdom of new followers of God. Well, these are not just stories for Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're stories for us as well. And they teach us a few lessons too. The first and foremost being God's great heart for you and me. God loves each individual greatly and his heart's desire is that you might turn and follow him. And if you do that, he rejoices. We rejoice. Today is an exciting day as we baptise these five people. Heaven rejoices at the decision of these parents and godparents to bring up their children to know the love of God. I don't know where you sit today, but let me tell you, God's great desire is for your repentance and to walk into his loving arms. He's not standing there like some father to tell you off. He's waiting eagerly for you to appear on the crest of the hill so that he can run And embrace you. If you want to know more about that, come and talk to me afterwards. But there are lessons too for those of us who've been around the church for a while. The first is that it seems to me that if this is describing God's heart for the lost, then as a church, our orientation ought to be towards the lost. We exist to extend the love of God to those who don't yet know it. We ought to be like the shepherd and the woman and the father, seeking and searching for those who are outside the kingdom, rather than focusing, as we can so often do, just on ourselves and what we need and what we want. So we ought to pivot towards the outsider. We ought also... To have great joy at the newcomer today in the baptism. But every day when new people come, we ought to welcome and rejoice and seek to do all that we can to help them take steps in the faith. And of course, we must hear the warning of the older brother, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. 
at our first service this morning, we have our longest serving parishioner. She's been going to this church for 96 years. Like that is just like unfathomable to go to the one church for 96 years, but that's what she's been doing. God bless her. If you've gone to church for 96 years, or one year, or any number of years in between that, it can become easy, and this is certainly not what the 96-year parishioner is like, but it can become easy after we've been here for a while to feel like we're entitled to a few things, that we've served enough and now we can receive some things, that, that, that we deserve our pew, that we deserve uh, 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 the, the minister's attention, that we deserve all sorts of things. But of course, when we start to feel like that, we'd realize, we realise we've become like the older brother and that we've failed to realise God's heart for those who don't yet know him. The longer you've been here, the more you ought to have actually figured out that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That the first will be last and the last will be first and that the church has got absolutely nothing to do with you or me. But it's all about Jesus and his desire for the repentance of sinners. Well, heaven rejoices over the repentance of sinners. We, too, should join with heaven in rejoicing over that great thing. And we ought to watch ourselves so that we don't become jealous or seek undue attention and miss the joyful party that is God changing lives through the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice as God keeps on changing lives. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.